Welcome to this episode of Nerds and Friends. Today, the guest is myself, with Caleb interviewing me about my new book, Galgathor's Gambit. Woo! Yeah. So excited to talk to you about the book. Thank you, thank uh, um, you. Having, I, I feel like some inspiration may have come from a D&D game that we played, Absolutely. a D&D campaign, which I uh, am proud to have been a part of. Um, but it was really cool to read like how the story developed in your mind, which was really, really cool. So Josh, like where, where did the idea for this come from? The idea came from a long time ago. I don't remember exactly when I was reading some articles about like pre-colonial Australia. Uh, and I loved your face there <laughs> and uh, about how they were like giant lizards that they believe were roaming um, the uh, the outback at the same time as like uh, a lot of the ancient Aborigine people so that they had people at these large like basically holdover from dinosaurs uh, and I was like that's pretty awesome so I started crafting a fantasy story I was like that'd make a cool fantasy setting so that's how I started building Tazrelia was um, kind of a fantasy version of pre-colonial uh, Australia and um, that's where the Taz tribes people come from is based on the Aborigine people in um, uh, in Australia um, huh. and so yeah I just kind of went with that and had uh, a culture along the coast of like shipwreck survivors that build up cities and just kind of built the world from there and then the uh, the premise just kind of popped into my head of what could unite a bunch of interesting characters, and I was like, "Well, getting framed for murder, that'll do it." <laughs> <And> so <laughs> that'll unite them. That'll unite them for sure. <laughs> so, like, where, like, okay, I, I have so many questions. Like, how did you stumble across pre-colonial Australia? article <laughs> sometimes you just start reading about dinosaurs and you just kind of go down rabbit holes on wikipedia you know <laughs> it happens oh my gosh that i believe is i was actually i think i was actually in utah traveling between here and los angeles and i was at a hotel room just laying in bed just wikipedia scrolling when i read that <laughs> so i do believe uh yeah it was it was in utah or las vegas staying for that at a hotel on a road trip when i stumbled across that if i remember correctly and so that just stayed with you all these years of yes the like, world that, that it could be i want that <laughs> in a fantasy <laughs> setting <laughs> And in our whole campaign, we never had the giant lizards. I, I kind of forgot about them, but I built the world based on that. And then just kind of forgot about the awesome fantasy lizards. So fantasy lizards. I love it. That should be the title of the podcast. They're, they're fantasy lizards. <laughs> fantasy yes. lizards. Encounter them in Galgathor's Gambit. Fantasy lizards. There actually are no, the spoiler alert, there are no fantasy lizards in the book. They don't make an appearance. I just never, I never got around to them. So, well, you know what? It was still a really oh, yeah. the name for the. I don't understand why it's their name. They're called rock monitors in real life. Like, like that's the scientific term. Rock monitors. Yeah. Okay. I, and I guess they're still around, but they had giant ones. You know, like ten thousand years ago or something like that. They were like bigger than a car. <laughs> they were just like oh these gosh. lizards, but they're called rock monitors. And I was like, that doesn't okay. sound like a science name. Like I don't understand. <laughs> doesn't sound like an animal name so <laughs> interesting so that's how you came up the world yes. uh which i think is so interesting what inspires you know world creation <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what you can pull from what what inspired some of the characters there 
That's a really great question. Um, so three, the three main characters, Elias, El Tomo, and Lif, are based on people I know in real life. Um, and then Caligon is based on uh, one of my favorite fictional characters from The Expanse, Amos Burton. Uh, so I base her on like a female version of him. And then um, Mirabella uh, is, uh, that's Carrie's creation, as we all know. Uh, Mirabella, the, uh, the outspoken, ready to jump into a fight, awesome halfling who's hilarious. Um, and then I, I based the character of Jarrah on, initially he was kind of like, I wanted to do a, a fantasy version of Raylan Givens from Justified. But yeah. as I wrote him, he quickly became kind of based on my buddy Torin in terms of his personality. Um, and then the character just kind of wrote himself. He really grew from the original origins of what I had for him. Um, and then the character of Shoshaka, I based a little bit on myself uh, and kind of uh, uh, with her finding her place and finding courage to be who she is and stuff like that. So. Yeah, that's what I kind of, I, I thought she had a cool arc and I've always loved uh, playing uh, in D&D, I like playing Kenku, which are like the crow people. So I wanted to have my version of them, which are called the Kura people and they're descended from the, descended from the great ravens of old. Uh, they live mainly in Blackwing City and uh, they're adept at magic and stealth and it's fun, you know. How do you create some of these abilities for the characters? Like how they're able to manipulate the world around them or be a part of the world around them and like how how do you keep that sane with multiple characters throughout an entire story that you know was interesting because there's not there's lots of magic but there's actually not that much magic in <laughs> the, i mean it's there there's there's people who can do spells and stuff but it's not the most commonplace thing okay. um and so like none of the main characters Jarrah uh, has like very basic knowledge of like a very specific kind of ritual spell casting to protect people from like monsters in the wasteland. Um, but everyone else, uh, like it's it's not super common to be a mage. Uh, and so they don't like when they did encounter magic, I just kind of made up the systems as I went. I didn't really go in with a plan, which is uh -huh. unusual for me because normally I would go in and be like, this is how magic works in that world. You know, there's there's these specific energies and how it manipulates reality and there's these rules and that rules. And with this one, I was like, I'm just going to kind of go with what flows and um, uh, really see what the plot needs to keep the magic minimal so that it uh -huh. felt like a more grounded story. Um, yeah, and so the the main character that really only uses magic is Shoshaka. She's able to use magic harness from the moon, mm -hmm. um, and so she's only able to use it at night. So during the day, she's just she's just like a tiny crow person, you know. So uh, that's something that she grapples with: is like, am I anything without my identity of my power that comes from the moon? So, Ooh. yeah, getting real deep there. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's super cool. I'm I'm thinking of so like obviously I'm I'm starting my first foray into fantasy writing and it's yes. it's it's been super interesting like how to come up with characters, create the characters and how they interact with their environments. Are you uh I feel like we've had some on the on this, you know, Nerds and Fred's podcast, we've had some uh deliberation of planners versus pantsers. Yes. Are you, uh, did you plan out this plot and storyline or did you fly by the seat of your pants? <laughs> I, I tend to outline the plot points. Okay. And then, so I'll have it in each chapter. I'm like, 
this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to happen. And that's it. So I'll usually write one to three paragraphs for each chapter in my outline. Um, and then when I'm actually writing the chapter, I kind of, it's a, you know, I kind of see if it goes down a different rabbit hole, I'll kind of let it go down there and then swing it back around to um, whatever, you know, things have to happen there. Um, but being a dungeon master in D&D has helped me a lot because like when I plan things for you guys, I have no idea where you're going to go with it or how you're going to approach it. So I'm like, okay, if I want these little milestones to happen, they have to be flexible milestones where it's not saying something exact has to happen. Just like, okay, I want to challenge the party with whatever and uh, seeing how you guys approach it and then saying, well, if they decide to go to this totally different area that I couldn't expect, how am I going to take that milestone and make it happen where they're going? So that's been a really helpful for me to not get, too reliant on my outline to where the characters can interact and grow organically as I write, but it still serves as giving a structure and, uh, you know, signposts as I go. Interesting. So you mentioned being a, a dungeon master. So the, the campaign that we're playing that sets place inside this similar world, what's been like the biggest uh, surprise from the players that you've had to quickly adapt and try to like adjust, you know, where you want that campaign to go. That's a really good question. When I first started the campaign, I had a bunch of the Northern cities really fleshed out and had like their own, each city had their own quirks and their own unique cultures and things that you would encounter if you went there. And then everyone was like, we're going South. And I was like, no, <laughs> like those are the boring <laughs> cities. I don't have anything for those yet. So I had to come up with stuff, but, um, and then I, it's funny. I ran the same campaign five more times with different groups of players and everyone five? always goes South. And I'm like, no, you go North, you go to Carl city. You <laughs> don't go to gray spire. And so that just, but every time everyone likes to go to gray spire, I don't know why. So, Interesting. Yeah, so, so we want to go south from the, the starting position. So does the book take you north? Yes. The way okay, so you finally to. got the, the yes. relief of being able to tell the story of the north. I did, yes. And it just hints at the southern cities that I, I actually ended up developing them more, um, except for Grayspire. That's always been the my one that my players love to explore. And I'm like, I don't have that much cool stuff for it. So it's like my, <laughs> it's like my weak city, very bland medieval city, you know. But, That's funny. That's yeah. funny. So when when you have these D&D campaigns that are going on at the same time you're writing a book or at the same time you're pulling from the book, does that impact, like, did you already have it outlined in the way that you wanted it to go from a book perspective and then took some inspiration from these campaigns or did any of these campaigns end up changing what you wrote in the book? So um, really, I had the book outlined already um, and I knew where the characters were going to go and what events were going to unfold. So when I played it with you guys, um, you know, of course you went totally different trajectories, which was awesome. And so, um, yeah, I, I took Mirabella from the campaign because I really liked her character and I saw she doesn't come into like halfway through Galgathor's Gambit. Right. Um, because I saw a need for a really badass character and I was like, Hey, we'll put Mirabella in there, you know? Um, but um and because it makes sense that she would be wandering the wasteland when she shows up because she's like going on her taz walkabout 
yeah. you know, uh, which is uh, the the sleepwalking is what they call it because their religion is the sleepwave that I made up, which I just chose that because I was there's a cool band out there called Sleepwave that has like one cool album and I <laughs> dig their music, so I was like that's gonna be the religion uh, and deals with like dreamscapes and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I sprinkle little random references in here and there, you know. So. <laughs> that's that's eats hilarious <laughs> i've always eats for fun i've always been curious like what how people come up with names how people come up with because because your your book goes like it has different names of lands names of religions names of characters of races like how are you able to come up with these but then also keep them like semi-cohesive um, that's a good question. Cause I started out when I was world building Tazralia. Um, I built like, I think I have like 15 pages of like Taz vocabulary and like the language oh. and, and runes in their alphabet. And I never used any of it. It just helped me with the <laughs> world building. But, um, yeah, like I, I came up with different species, like the Kura and the Balauran. Um, uh, and then in exile in the sand, I have the Torbeck and the Ishigel. And the Nel Pizar and the Gen Pizar. I just kind of memorized them. I think I have a list somewhere on my computer, but <laughs> I just kind of, yeah, you know. You just, you just pull from? Yeah, I guess. They, well, originally I had a list of like 35 species for exile into sand. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to introduce all of these different cool species with all of their different quirks and things. And they'll all have their own culture and religion. And then I was talking to someone and they were like, don't, dude, it's too much. And I was like, Right. I started reading a book uh, by an author I really like um, called The Dragon's Path, and he had 13 uh, like races of man that were all very distinct. And it was, uh, yeah, it was too much to keep track of. And I was like, "Mm, I'm going to dial myself back a bunch. So (laughs) that was kind of the 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 trajectory of that. So, huh. Yeah. (laughs) Like, for instance, like going back to your D&D question, it's fascinating because like. You know, um, actually, I did take uh, one encounter that your character, Asher, went on in that haunted castle uh, where you guys fought the Striga from The Witcher. Uh, I took that and uh, made some adjustments and used it uh, with a character in Galgathor's Gambit. So that was an inspiration on how that turned out. I was like, I need to include that as like a a side quest adventure that they go on. Um, But if you recall, too, they had the whole in the D&D game, we had the whole big pirate ship. Called the taciturn fortune none of that made it into the book and i was like that was just an awesome awesome thing that happened organically you know is that something like as a writer so obviously like you've you've completed the book which is awesome congrats on that thank you is that something that you plan to like continue within the world like are you planning additional books and stories within it that you can pull from additional campaigns that you've done yeah actually so um Galgathor's Gambit, you know, and this is going to be spoiler free because I'm talking about things that our listeners are going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, (laughs) Where you are in the campaign right now is um, a little bit past where the book ends. Right. Um, And so um, kind of what you guys are coming up against soon, which will leave Nebulous, is going to happen to the book. I'm just curious how the characters are going to deal with it for future books. I'm kind of curious to see how your characters deal with it as we kind of wrap up that campaign. Yeah. Um, we're going to do it like Mass Effect style, where it's just going to be like a, I'm going to just write out what's happening and get the occasional impact from you. It'll be like a giant cutscene, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it'll, it'll be a lot more detailed when I write it for the sequel to Galgathor's Gambit, which um, 
you know, a Galagosaurus Gambit is a to-be-continued type of ending, you know, so there is room for a sequel. And um, I haven't really started outlining that. I'm still working on uh, my third novel, which is called The Owl and the Eagles. So I'm about a quarter of the way through writing that. And um, to help flesh out that world, I made a campaign that you are in playing <laughs> an awesome character named Bristol McCoy. Um, and so that... Um, that campaign is still early on. And I'm still early on in the book. So uh, you guys are actually ahead of where I am in writing it. But mm-hmm. with the Owl and the Eagles, um, I went and I actually outlined the whole thing doing like five okay. to six paragraphs per chapter. Oh. So I have a pretty detailed arc already. And um, oh, sorry, there's someone honking outside my house. <laughs> um, uh, I live right by a busy intersection. So it's not at me, you know, <laughs> it's not at, at my house. Um, but yeah, no, um, because I have the trajectory already lined up for the character in the book, I'm just curious yeah. where you guys are going to go because it's, um, I feel like the trajectory is pretty logical to where it's kind of the plot is pushing you forward. Um, but I'm curious to see how you guys differentiate because I'm sure you will. And I'm really excited for that, <laughs> especially since in the book, it's about a single character who goes to a fantasy world and is all alone being Got from it. Earth. Whereas, uh, and you guys, you guys have a team of people. So there's that social dynamic that makes it a little different, which is fascinating, you know? So, yeah, a little more fun too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> as a, as a campaign, I mean, a campaign with a single person wouldn't be super fun. So <laughs> actually they can be fun. I've done single player campaigns before with like new players who want to try D and D where we'll do it, where it's just the DM and the player. Um, it's actually a really good challenge as a DM because without, the social interactions between players and people debating things and making plans, you've yeah. got to be ready to move like quick. Cause like, as soon as the player's like, well, let's do this, you got to be ready to be like, okay, right. <laughs> here's what you encounter. So it requires a lot more prep and a lot more, um, huh. Uh, like a lot more improv than regular DMing. So I, I do it sometimes just to stay fresh as a DM to challenge myself. So I've, I've ran, I've ran three campaigns where it's just me and one player. Wow. In, in person live not even over text it's just go for it you know so yeah i hadn't thought about that building up the skills as a dm is is that something like in fantasy novel world as authors like where they do pull from dnd references is oh, it i'm sure they like, do yeah yeah and, and like are they running campaigns or are they like I'm I'm curious if that's a thing among fantasy authors. I, I don't know if a lot of the that. authors we've talked to are pretty avid gamers. Uh, like we had the Ogaras on for I believe it was episode 33 or mm-hmm. episode 32, uh, and they they were big uh, tabletop gamers. So that was awesome. We talked about that a bunch, and um, yeah. So I think I think a lot of authors are into it because if you're into fantasy, it's like this is the best way to play fantasy. Is Dungeons and Dragons, you know? So, right. Um, right. Yeah. I think it's uh, at least it's popular out in Hollywood with like actors and screenwriters as well. So, that's been cool. Like, a lot of people I know in the film industry are like, oh, yeah, we play DD. So, <laughs> oh, sweet. Cool. Okay. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> that's super cool. Yeah. Because it's basically when you do it live too, it's like acting, you know? Right. Because you're playing a character. So playing another character. Yeah. Yeah. Super good practice that way. Yeah. Well, I've been super, like, this has been super helpful for me as a new fantasy writer and a new D and D player, like just understanding how it links um, and how you're, you're able to pull from these experiences within a game on how to really create a story and have like 
side quests that yeah. always tie back to like what's actually going on with the main story arc. That's super cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I, I think the biggest thing that I, I forget where I heard it from, but it was good advice that I'll pass along to you as well because it helped Ooh. me a lot. Um, because uh, I, I feel like if you look at Exile into Sand, which is my first book, and yeah. Galgathor's Gambit, which is my second, I feel like Galgathor's Gambit has a much richer ensemble of like minor characters, and that stems from I got the advice when playing D anD D to like, um if you have a small minor character, like an NPC that your players interact with, give them at least one quirk to make them special and give mm. them multiple if you can. Um, and that just ends up, uh, you know, um, it just kind of as naturally occurs that you have better interactions and more dynamicism between the minor characters and the, and the main characters. So yeah. like, I've tried to do that with, uh, with my minor characters in D and D and then in the Galgathor's Gambit, you know, I have like one of my favorites is uh, captain Yedib, who's a uh, dwarven like commander. Um, and I just made her like, she has a super long beard, like with lots of like beads in it. And she's just real grumpy and distrustful and like hates her job, but loves it at the same time. And even though she's a pretty minor character, I was like, that's just, so when she has dialogue with the other characters, I'm able to make it feel more real and authentic, you know? Yeah, that's that's something. So I so I read your first book, and then I read Thank the you. the pre-published version of your of <laughs> yeah. Galgathor's Gambit, and I definitely noticed that as well. Like the the difference in richness of like the story because of the side characters. Like oh, it was it was really cool to see the interaction that happened. And granted, some of them, um, I can't remember the like like exactly who, but I remember there was a side character where like, oh, this is a cool side character, and then like they kind of either disappeared or died or something happened to him. And you're like, Oh, like <laughs> yeah. it wasn't even one of the main characters. And you're like, Oh, uh, all right. I guess that's what has. So like it, it plays emotionally throughout the story in addition to the main characters, which I feel like is something that is, you know, makes the novel, I guess, more visually appealing because then you're able to like visualize what's going on awesome. with these side characters, which that's what cool. I was going for. So that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Yes. So yes. Cool. Mission accomplished. <laughs> love it. That's great. Yeah. No, I love when there's a, I, ever since I got into star Wars as a kid and star Wars, like even the most minor of characters, I love that George Lucas took the time to give them all backstories, even yeah. though most of the time it was like totally unnecessary, but like as a kid, like growing up and like collecting the figures and the cards and like <laughs> having their backgrounds, I was like, I grew up loving minor characters that have cool flair where you're just like, I want to know that person's story. So uh, I've tried to reflect that in my writing, which is fun. That's really cool. Well, and I feel like I, I haven't done this. I don't even know if this is a thing, but it, it also sets up the ability for you to create additional stories like down the road. If you ever want to like extend the universe of, you know, what, what Galgothor's Gambit took place in, you're able to extend that even further down the road if you want to. If you're like, oh, there's really good reception here, then you just take a side character and go deeper into that world in terms of like extending it. So. Yeah, that's definitely an option with uh, with some side characters I got, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I feel like there, to your Star Wars reference, like there are definitely some characters where, I like, where I'm like, I would love to see just a movie on that person. Like yep. how they and got now, to where they're at. With Disney, that's happening. <laughs> they're, doing, right. they're doing the minor characters. It's awesome. Yeah, I love it. I love yeah, it. That's great. 
Well, yeah, man. Well, thank you for so many great questions. I really appreciate it. I think this will be a great podcast to talk about the book and uh, shout out to our buddy, Will, for doing the doing the cover art on there. Um, looks so good. I know, right? It's amazing. I, I, it's like my new phone background and I'm going to get the skull <laughs> tattooed on me somewhere. Like, I love it. Uh, love but it. everyone who's listening, follow Will Shaw Art. That's uh, Will and then S-H-A-W Art. Um, that's his handle on Instagram and Twitter. Give him a follow because he does great stuff. And um, look in the podcast description for me and Caleb's info. Give us a follow as well. And check out the Wisdom app if you have an iPhone because it's a fun time. We'll do a little plug for that too. Me and Caleb are yeah. both on there. And we host live podcasts all the time that you can join in on and ask us questions so that's a that's my sign off anything else you want to want to promote caleb uh no <laughs> this, was, <laughs> this was great i mean yeah i mean i uh i love the wisdom app as well it's it's a super interesting app um and look for my novel coming at some point in the year <laughs> yes where I will interview you about it. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be, awesome. be that'll be the key. Oh, I can't wait, man. Well, keep up the good work. This is a great conversation. I really appreciate you. It was. Thank yeah. you, Josh, for the great insight. Of course. Thanks so much.